Hey, actually, with that, to say thanks, Brendan. Um, Brendan, Brendan Lamois. Uh, my name is Andrew Mook, not Mook. So we haven't been friends clearly that long. So I'm going to go with Brendan Lamois. Does anyone else out there call him Brendan Lamois? I feel like it's a fancy pastor. Um, <laughs> uh, I, to just, um, not just to return those words, to genuinely mean them, um, the opportunity to be able to connect with Brandon um, uh, has been a gift to me uh, and to many folks in our, in our leadership. Uh, he is just an incredible leader. And sometimes I'm sure it's easy to not um, be, be aware of, you know, because you get so used to, to all the awesome that is Brandon and, and, and Connie. Um, so if I could come in as an outsider and just say, you have uh, some incredible leaders, some incredible senior pastors in these two, and their love and care for you in the way that they pray uh, for this congregation and desire to lead it faithfully and just to love well. Um, can we just take a moment and honor, honor them? Can we, can we do that? Yeah. Amazing, amazing individuals. Uh, so I'm going to go as fast as I can here because I uh, have a lot to talk about. Uh, I, uh, real quick, um, I pastor a church sanctuary in Providence, Rhode Island, a, a kind of family of neighborhood churches. And um, I have a wife. Her name is Corey. Um, and she's not here because our youngest got a little bit sick this morning, a sickness I passed on. So if I hack up a lung while I'm preaching, uh, you just you'll understand why. It's not like a prop or anything like that. Uh, you'll get, uh, and then I have, uh, so a daughter, Rowan, and then a daughter named Harper, uh, and we live over on the west side uh, of the city. And I'm, I'm loosely connected to a number of folks in this church, so it, it, it's, uh, it's kind of cool to actually be here. I've heard a lot about your community for a long time, um, all the really amazing things and the awful things I'm sure that have happened here. Just kidding. Nothing, nothing bad has ever happened in this church, right? Amen? Um, so the verse, I was supposed to pick a verse which for a pastor is an impossible task. Your verse, I'm like, my verse. Uh, so I want to read a verse, uh, and then I'm going to just pivot away from it and not talk about it at all for a while, and then I'll come back to it at the end, okay? Just so you can get my rigid framework for the morning. Uh, this is the, the passage that is the why of our church. So we, uh, we don't split up our church into the kind of vision, mission, values so much as it is why, what, and how. Why do we exist? What are we doing? And how are we going to do it? That's kind of how we talk about it at our church. And this verse has shaped the why that we exist in the city. And this is the prophet Habakkuk, who I'm sure you've read a lot of Habakkuk lately. Um, some of you are like, yes, actually. Habakkuk uh, is looking out, essentially, I like to imagine him on like a hillside looking out over the carnage of what is a really broken season in the life of, of Israel. There has just been uh, a whole lot of mess going on. Uh, people have forgotten their God. And he looks out as a good Jewish boy, having known all of the stories of Moses and knowing the stories of Abraham, right, the epic stories that have happened. I'm sure there's all sorts of stories never written down of the way God has done stuff. And he looks, I like to imagine him like looking out over the landscape and just praying, Lord, I've heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds. Repeat them, or one translation says, renew them in our day. In our time, make them known. 
He's kind of yelling at God. If you've ever read through the book of Isaiah, Isaiah has language like this, like, Lord, rend the heavens. I don't I, it's taken me a long time to have a prayer life that even slightly resembles that. He looks out and he goes, look at what's happening. People are dying here. God, you have done incredible things in the past. Will you do it again? Do it again. Is he asking nicely? Is it, would you, uh, mm, you know, you've done some things. Maybe, you know, if it's in your will. Could you just do, he's, he is like, do it again. I've seen that you have healed people, set people free. I've seen that you have put things back together. I've seen the way that you have cared for the most hurting and oppressed, the foreigner and the fatherless and the poor and the suffering. I've heard and seen the way you've broken chains and the way you've set your people free. I know the kind of God you are, abounding in love and grace. God, do it again because everything is falling apart. The little idea I want to just kind of place in our head, and then like I said, I'm going to walk away from this passage for a while, is, is there is a, a culture of pursuit and love that kind of like surrounds, washes over, is tied up in this, path, in this verse. And what, what does it look like for us to um, cultivate a culture of pursuit in our hearts and in our church? So I, I wanna share a, a story with you. Recently I was in um, Ireland and uh, I got to go there for the first time. I am, uh, my last name is Mook, but uh, my mom is 100% Irish, Mary McGuire. It's a good Irish name, Mary Maguire. So I, we really lean into our Irish side, not our weird Dutch, English, whatever the other part is, Mook. It's like a town in Holland. It's the stuff also on the bottom of your shoe. It's a, I believe it's a swear word in some culture. It's not worth pursuing. Um, love you, Dad, wherever you are. Um, so I was so excited to go. Um, I'm a bit of a romantic in that I'm just, I want, I'm like, if I can suck the epicness out of any event, I will try to do that. And so sure enough, we find ourselves, we were looking for a pub that would have traditional music. And uh, funny enough, in Dublin, there's lots of bars that have traditional music, but they're mostly tourist traps. I don't know if you've ever been to Dublin. So it's really actually hard to find like a legit place with locals who are like playing music that isn't just filled with a bunch of, st- of folks uh, that are there just to kind of watch from the outside. So we looked around, we asked questions, we looked online, we finally found a place. We went there, it was this rundown little place, we walk in. And it's one of those things, like, whatever Irish stereotype you have in your mind of, like, walking into a place where, like, Guinness runs like milk and honey through the land and people are laughing and happy and too happy. But, and there's music playing and there's a leprechaun dancing on the, you know, all of whatever is in your head, this place was it. So we go in. I'm sitting there uh, with my, my wife and my daughter, Harper. Uh, Rowan wasn't born yet. And, uh, and actually, Corey, my wife is pregnant. So she's, I think, like six, five, six months pregnant, and I'm sitting there, um, the only one really even able to have a drink, and then my three-year-old, and we're sitting uh, in this little area where the musicians are playing. Now, they don't really play on a stage, right? They just kind of play on the floor, sitting in seats. So they're playing for a while. Now, it's my daughter's birthday, and they're playing, they're playing, and my Harper is just relentless. She loves to dance. She loves to dance. She's relentless in wanting to sing and perform. I don't know if it's like an oldest kid thing. We all have our problems. And usually that's the big one, right? Like, look at me. Look, I'm special. And um, so she's that kid. And I love her for that. So she's dancing, dancing. And and all of these folks that are playing are kind of taken to her. And so I lean over to one of the guys who clearly is uh, sort of the leader. And I go, hey, is there any outside chance you'd be willing to sing happy birthday 
to, to Harper. And he's like, I'll do you one better. It's my best Irish accent I got. He's like, see that, see that buddy over there? His name, my, my buddy's name's Mick. Of course his name's Mick. He's 73 years old today. He's how old's your daughter turning? Three. Three years old. 70 years between them. Then he swore a little bit. And then, uh, <laughs> it's like, anyway. So, like, blown away by this, this concept. Anyway, so he turns back to me. Like, I'll do you one better. We got some cakes coming out for Mick. Why don't we just sing happy birthday to Mick and to Harper? I'm like, yeah, that would be awesome. So sure enough, I think I have a couple pictures here to show you. This is, it's kind of hard to see. That's Mick and Harper. Next photo. That's them. The cupcakes came out. The entire bar is like, happy birthday, dear Mick and Harper. Happy birthday. And I'm just like, all of my Irishness is like, this is perfect. And my, you know, one small tear comes down. So I'm blown away by this moment where a whole bar of people, most of which are a bit tipsy, singing happy birthday to my daughter while like fiddles play in the background. So we're not even at the story yet. <laughs> it's going to be a long sermon. So the next two nights later, my, my wife is, long story, not with us. And so I'm, I go back to this pub with Harper before we're about ready to fly out. So we go back there. Before you think ill of me taking my daughter to a pub, this was like, I found out this is normal. Okay, there are a couple other kids there. Pharisees, remove your judgment. So I'm, I'm sitting there. I'm sitting there, with, I'm sitting there with Harper. We're back again. They recognize Harper when she comes back. Now she's noticing something. As they're going around, some folks are, are they would, all the musicians would play, like, and then they would stop. And then one of the people would just stand up and sing a solo often in Gaelic, and think of like, oh, Danny boy, like, oh, Danny boy, the boy in the box, I don't even know the words. And they would start to sing this like glorious Gaelic hymn. And then they would go back to, they'd go back and sing again. And Harper quickly picks up on this. Like I said, she has a passion to sing and to dance and to perform and all the things. She's three years old. And so she's looking around and she notices this rhythm. She looks at me. Yeah, Harper, what's up? Um, do you think they would let me sing? I'm like, I don't know. You're going to have to go ask Mick. And she's like, can you come with me? Now, I should be a good father. I'm in a pub. I should go with my daughter to go talk to the 73-year-old grumpy man in the corner with a fiddle, right? He was at too much Guinness. Not this dad. <laughs> I'm going to build some courage into my daughter. So next slide. Oh, that's them blowing out the candles. That's the day before. So here she is. About ready to approach old Mick. So she walks up, taps Mick on the shoulder. Mick, can I sing a song? <laughs> Laughing. I'm like, this isn't going to go well. And he's the kind of grandfather who just talks to a kid in like the way that he would talk to anybody else. So it's hilarious. He's like, hi, little child. What do you want to sing? So he goes, uh, she goes, ah, itsy bitsy spider. Oh, he loses it again. He's laughing with his friends. Well, Harper, I'll, I'll see what we can do. All right, you go back to your dad now. She's like, okay. So she comes back. I'm not thinking there's no way it's going to happen. About 10 minutes later, long story short, all of a sudden he stops and he just stands up. He's like, all right, quiet down. We got a new singer. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, is he really going to do He's like, Harper, come on out. It's like a 73-year-old talking to a 3-year-old like this in the middle of a book. Come on out in the middle. And Harper just. went up the wall. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> she sings this song, and then, I swear to you, 
I'm sure it's gotten way overdone in my head, but she finished. And she, oh, I don't get the rain wash, but I went up the spout again. One second, two second. The place lost it. I swear to you, Bono came in and gave me a hug. Like people were calling estranged loved ones and going like, I'm sorry for everything I've had. Families were healed. The Holy Spirit came down. There was tongues in the corner. It was amazing. It's a long, long, way too long a story. The value of the possession is seen in the intensity of the pursuit. My daughter... I can't even begin to tell you the limbs, right? I'm sure any of you have kids know to step out and to do that. I want that so bad, I am willing to forsake all else for the sake of that thing. She valued singing and dancing so much, so much that she was willing to put herself out there in such a way that I, I, she continues to reference this now a year later in a way that is so deeply memorable because of the way she chased us down. And so I say this, and that the church should be a place, and this is a really radical statement. The church should be a place where people love God. (laughs) Right? Can I get an amen? And where they pursue him and his kingdom. That That should be what we should be known for. That there is like a deep and passionate culture of pursuit. Remember, the call on our church, right? On the church at large, like capital C, I don't care what church you come from. And I know, like, having a pastor like Brandon and Connie, that you guys, uh, you know, have been, uh, you guys talk about this stuff. It's like the, the, the job of the church, right? We are joining God in the renewal of all things. We have this epic, like, in, like invitation in front of us in loving God and loving neighbor to join God in putting everything back together, right? We're told in the Gospels that we are partners with God. Just really clear. The love and logic behind everything, if you're here and you're someone who believes in God, what is at the base of everything is love, revealed itself fully in Jesus, and Jesus invites us to be partners in joining him in the work of putting everything back together. You don't have to believe any of that, but if you were to believe that, that's fairly epic. In 1 Peter, it talks about how you can, we can join God and get this, speeding the coming of the kingdom. Like we actually play a, a role, I don't know how this works out, in speeding the coming of, of what God ultimately will do. Right in the middle of the Lord's Prayer, and this is a very Jewish way of saying, pay attention to this, right? We pray um, on earth as it is in heaven. When the disciples go, hey, how should we do this whole prayer thing? Oh, pray on earth as it is in heaven. So we're to be people joining him in putting this back together that we're called to speed in the coming of the kingdom that our job is to pray and to embody in Rehoboth as it is in heaven. We're called to pray and embody in Seekonk as it is in heaven. I don't know if the kingdom can come to Seekonk. Is that possible? Is that, we play blessings on Seekonk. It's playing. Right, we, we uh, th- this is this call and charge in front of us to have passion and pursuit for God and the kingdom, for God and his calling. Right, in the kingdom, when we pray on earth as it is in heaven, we're praying all the things of heaven, everything in its right place, things being healed, we are invited to join God in that renewing work. And so 
what has been deep in my heart and what I felt like I wanted to come and share a little bit with you is how do we um, get out of our own way and making sure that we value the right sorts of things, that what is first and primary in our life is the things that should be first and primary in our life. Why at the end of going on that long little spiel uh, about, you know, in Rehoboth as it is in heaven, is our natural instinct not to be like, to shout me down. Now, I know we're all, you know, cold New Englanders. I'm, I'm with you. I'm not demanding feedback. I, my church doesn't give me much feedback either. Right? But why don't we like, amen? It's not just because we're cold, cynical New Englanders. Right? Uh, let me show you a picture. Could you put up the t-shirt real quick? Anyone remember this scene? Anyone not know what this is referring to? I could pray deliverance over you. Who? No. Right? This was this epic moment. How many of you saw your wife or husband or kids lose their minds when the Patriots charged back from being down 28 to 3 in the Super Bowl in the third quarter? How many of you lost your mind? It was what, two in the morning, one in the morning? I went upstairs and woke Harper up, brought her down, took a video like, you will remember this, and poured champagne on her head. I baptized my daughter in champagne because the Pats won a game. Because guys in spandex who get paid way too much money won a game. The value of the procession of the possession is seen in the intensity of the pursuit. Right? We can't claim like, oh, it's just not my thing. You know, I'm God, it's cool, church. If we actually believe that the God of the universe is among us, that the king is among us, then when we get up to sing, right? Oh, to be like you, to give all I have just to know you. Like, that's not just the charge of like, ah, oh, I like that melody. It makes me feel good when I sing those notes at church. Like, this is the charge of our life. That we would have a culture of pursuit, right? God is not opposed to effort. He is opposed to earning. He's opposed to earning. We're not earning anything like his love and favor. But he's not opposed to effort. Seek me and you will find me. Sell everything you have for the field, for the the thing in the field, right? He's like, this is worth your life and reorienting everything around the pursuit of me and my kingdom, and, the, and, the, and the, the call in front of us. Where does our perspective on the worth of God have to change? Where does our perspective on the worth of God have to change? So if you have your, your Bibles, turn with me to Philippians 3, 4. I believe it may be on the screen, possibly. We'll see. This is uh, Paul. And, and this, you, you get another glimpse of someone's passion. Passion and ache. God and his mission. If someone else thinks that they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. He's like, look, I am super Christian. I mean, it's a little more complicated than that, but that's essentially what he's saying. I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews in regards to the law of Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting. I was so zealous and full of passion, I was persecuting all these people I thought were heretics. Right? It's like misplaced zeal. I was so full of zeal. I put bumper stickers on my car that ticked off my neighbors because I love God so much. Anybody? 
as for righteousness based on the law. Someone's like, I hate this guy. (laughs) Verse 7. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. Just that verse. How many of you have heard that verse before? A lot of you, right? He's like, I will short everything for the sake of knowing Christ. What I used to consider valuable, I don't anymore. Just to be clear. What I considered valuable, I don't actually anymore. I have reoriented all my entire value system for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage. I love just taking a moment to emphasize this, not because it's racy or anything. That word garbage is the word scubalon. Can you all say scubalon? You all just swore in church. Seriously. Like, look, from the most conservative to the most progressive commentators, everyone pretty much agrees scubalon is our modern-day, like, S-word. I consider everything garbage, nothing, waste for the sake of knowing Christ. There's something about aligning yourself with the love and beauty and wonder that's at the center of everything that then begins to make sense of every other decision and every other purchase that I have in my life. There is a culture of pursuit in this man's heart. I consider it all garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection of the dead. Like, I want to die to all the old stuff so I can be reborn into something new. I want to be the kind of plumber. I want to be the kind of CEO. I want to be the kind of entrepreneur. I want to be the kind of stay-at-home parent who like is dying to the old and stepping into the life of heaven that sits right in front of me. And my first question is, what does it mean for me to join God in the renewal of my home life, in the renewal of this workplace? That my first and foremost, there is a pursuit and passion for knowing the love and grace of God to being able to do what Jesus says, right? He says, I just look around, I see what the Father's doing, and I do it. Every morning, I just wake up, right? And I go, I wonder what God's doing. I should probably pray. God, what what are you doing? I want my eyes to be open. I want to be able to hear the signal through the noise better today than I did yesterday. That I'm joining him and putting this all back together. I want a culture of pursuit and passion in my heart. He goes on, not that I've already attained this. Or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold for that which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Everything is shifted. Loss and worth begin to mean different things in Paul's economy. He used to value his education. He says, I used to value my position. And then something came along and showed me how temporal and fleeting it is. He uses this aggressive language, right, that a lot of us, we, we use in our lives. Like, don't, like we, we, we know when we have to consider something less than, and we need to do this reordering. And Paul is just taking very seriously how my life needs to be ordered that he needs a a fresh vision of Jesus, which is what he got. (coughs) 
Paul elsewhere says in 1 Corinthians 3, you can build with all sorts of different things. All right, there's all sorts of things you can actually build with. But then one day, like what you've built with will actually be revealed. It's like, are you playing with a house of cards? Are you just playing a game? I mean, at the risk of sounding like a really cliche card, I know this is kind of heavy and intense for Father's Day, sorry. But man, I, like some, some of you got, I don't know what I got left, maybe like 40 years. Like, What am I building with? Is this church thing like a fun game to help my kids be a slightly more moral? Where am I at? Am I leveraging everything for the sake of the kingdom? Anyone see the movie The Big Short? Anyone see that movie? I won't try to explain it if you haven't seen it. It's great. No one's seen it. I'll move on. Just being, just being honest. We need a fresh vision of Jesus, a reordering of the economy of God. If we have a small picture of Jesus, we will have small ambition. If Jesus is just, I, he loves me, and I'm going to get to go to heaven. I got my help, my, like, fire insurance. If, if for some of you, it, it's walking in the doors today, and it's, I'm not even sure why I'm here or if I buy any of this. I have a very small vision of Jesus. For some of us, Jesus helps, like, just reinforce the opinions I already have about politics, about money, about Jesus just kind of, like, he, he seems to affirm my opinions a lot. And you're probably not talking to Jesus. Right, if you have a small picture of Jesus, you're going to have really small ambition. That's been my story for a long time until I began to see how wide and expansive the call of Jesus was. Of, hey, hey, I love you. You don't have to do anything to earn my, my, my love. I'm actually here to help empower and strengthen you, and I want to invite you to join me in putting all of this mess back together. So Habakkuk, man, when he gets up there and prays, God, I know what you can do. I've seen it. I've heard the stories. Lately, I've been reading stories about revival in Providence and how it actually even did leak its way, funny enough, into Seekonk. This is about 200 years ago. There was a revival. I don't know why I'm picking on Seekonk. It's the Targets and the Taco Bells. It's that strip, right? It's just something about it. Anyway. I'm reading these stories about what God had done in that area. Stephen Gano, he's walking around the city of Providence. He's going, it's like there's not one house on the east side where people aren't praying and seeking God. There's these moments where the spirit is poured out and there's this renewed passion and vigor. Where it's not that God can't use somebody who like doesn't care about him, but God is looking for people who are going, here I am. I'm hungry and ready. I want to charge in and literally love the hell out of my home. I want to love the hell out of my neighborhood. I want to love the hell out of my city. I'm ready to join you in praying in Rehoboth as it is in heaven. God, I am willing to lean into the fact that I am loved by the God of the universe, which gives me such power and strength and grace to go and extend grace and love and healing to the world around me. I am reorienting our finances, not for how much we can save, but for how much we can actually give. I'm reordering the way I think about my time because I know that I'm going to look back and go, I spent all my time doing this some of us are in jobs that they hate. That's great, but I bet there's a whole lot of time in there where you can be seeking God for your coworkers, where you have a vision of seeing your world become lit with Jesus. 
Indeed, I count everything lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them rubbish, garbage, in order that I may gain Christ. That I may gain Christ. Like everything else, just to know Christ. Church, like we can sit in the presence of God anytime we want. You don't go in based on your performance. You come with confidence. We can walk into the presence of God with full assurance. See, for Paul, it's like everything has changed. He's, he remembers day to day. That it's not just, I'm talking a lot about the mission, but it's like the presence. I can sit with the God of the universe. Our church is full of a bunch of really cynical millennials. Average age in our church is about 27, 28. I mentioned that and that when you see a bunch of either burned out evangelicals or cynical post-Christian millennials like begin to begin to experience the presence and love of God in a way that they never have. It's just, I mean, it's special for anybody at any age. I'm just saying it's so powerful to see a bunch of people who have no cultural pressure to be in that church building on a Sunday morning or to come to a home group or do a, a late night prayer gathering. We don't have any, we didn't have one charismatic bone in our body as a church up until about two years ago. And all of a sudden we talked about, do we really have a, is this a place where people love God and have a culture of pursuit in their heart? And the more and more we began to lean in and press into the things of God, this kind of stuff that Paul is saying, like, I consider everything else a loss just for the sake of knowing Christ. I'm watching people who are like, had about 6,000 awful things to say about the church, Jesus, and Christianity, and reluctantly came because there was a cute girl that they liked at church on their knees crying and breaking into tongues on a Sunday morning. Like, I, I, there's no way I can like, kind of help you see how there's, I have no plausibility for that other than they began to realize that just to know Christ, that you don't have to come here to know Christ, to experience him, to hear his voice. Like that the God of the universe goes with me and that it is not God who is distant, but me oft, so often. That God is near. I can go into the Holy of Holies. Paul, everything changed when he realizes this. And this should result in a radical pursuit of God, a vision of Jesus that seizes our hearts, that seizes our hearts. I have so many more stories to share, and I think I need to start wrapping up here, but I'll tell one more. Eric Liddell, anyone know Eric Liddell, Chariots of Fire? This, the, the, I think I have a picture of Eric Liddell on here. Yeah, it was this epic moment in the Olympics in, um, I always forget the year. Uh, anyway, he, um, famous event, he won the 400 meters. Um, and uh, in this just absolutely like stunning victory, it just meant a lot on like the global stage that was happening. He ends up dying in a World War II at a prison camp for missionaries. And there's this book I read, it talks about the second half of his life where people were so excited that he had won this race, right? Like the movie rights are starting to get put together. This is like this epic moment. And he wasn't even at peak form. Many people are like, I can't wait to see what happens in the next Olympics. And um, everyone's trying to convince him, like uh, you need to like keep doing this. This is your life, your career. You've got books and movie stars, like status. You got all this stuff coming in front of you. And uh, he wouldn't even participate and head toward the next Olympics. Uh, he, his, his line was, I'm, I'm in need, they need me in China because I'm going to run a different race there. And so this interviewer says, what would you give to the Chinese? And he says, the love of God in their hearts. He gives up 
what was basically going to be the richest part of his life to go and serve in some of the most hurting areas of the world. He says goodbye to his family for a very long season, and he ends up getting, again, drawn into all sorts of carnage. And he was somebody who, who leveraged everything that he had and said, I know these are all of the cultural expectations and what is the natural next step. And that I could serve God, obviously, in this arena. It wasn't that he couldn't serve God continuing to run. And think of all the influence you'll have in Western culture. And he goes, no, I, I need to go because God put on my heart this call to go and serve. He had a grand ambition for the kingdom of God to go after. And it frees him to be able to live a life, to live a life that honored God and that shines so bright. Paul gives us a promise in this text that will free us from comparison and liberate your life. He says, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. He was saved and commissioned for a specific purpose that no one could talk him out of. And he didn't care what people thought. He didn't care what people thought. No one could talk him out of this. Like if you asked the question recently, why did God make you who you are? We spend so much of our time, even if we don't want to admit that we do this, comparing ourselves to other people. What are you up to? Like you are, you are free when you know why you were born. And you take hold of that which has taken hold of you. God did not save you so he can save you and do nothing with your life. It blows my mind when I meet followers of Jesus and I ask them like about, I don't know, like their health. Anyone a big health nut? And they're like, oh yeah, man, I've been juicing. Like I'm all about CrossFit. I'm in the city, a lot of ambitious people. Like, I, I don't know, I'm, I'm getting my MBA, like, on the side. I'm taking classes at Brown now because I really want to, like, keep going in this particular. And then I ask them about their spiritual life, and they're like, the Bible's kind of hard. I don't know, man. Prayer is a bit out there. I'm like, dude, you are leveraging everything to, like, juice. Like, you hate your life now because you're willing to, like, you just, and put asparagus in a blender and then run for miles. Like, that's your life. You're willing to sacrifice everything. So you're toning what? Your left calf a little more? Like, come on. That's your grand ambition. But you actually look at the ledger of, of many of our lives and we go, that does not reflect a passion and call. It does not re- that does not reflect the kind of culture of pursuit that Paul is saying here. So a couple practical things. I'm going to end this in a, in a really practical way. How much time do I have? Five minutes? I'm doing all right. What do you really love? Doing a weekly, weekly review. Like, why, what are you fearful about? We get the deepest sense of peace, again, when what we really value is reflected in our schedule. So even if it's just you cognitively ascend to the idea, like, I, I, I want, this sounds good. I, I, yeah, I, I want to make Jesus king of my life. I trust that all this this story, I think it's true. So to begin to ask the question, all right, so I know that I get the deepest sense of peace when what I really value is reflected in my schedule. How is the pursuit of God reflected in your schedule? Be honest about it. Because God can't transform your pretend desires. 
He can't transform. He, God can't change your pretend desires. God can't transform who you're pretending to be. To be honest would be my first thing. Two, um, a, a vision of spiritual essentialism. Anyone read the book Essentialism? It's all about just like don't lists. Like you were created for something, not everything. How I many of you needed to hear that this morning? You were created for something, not everything. Jesus says no a lot. Right? There's a few things that matter. You need to make a stop doing list. What are the things I need to stop doing? This takes up all of this time. And I know there are things that God's inviting me into. I would love to have a life where I'm like in constant communion with God. I'd love to have like bandwidth where I'm like, yeah, I get up early in the morning and I, and I, I gather together with a couple of my friends and we just pray for our workplace. We have some friends who get together, they work at Brown University and they just get together and they sit at the quad like really early in the morning. They grab a nice espresso just before work. They sit down and they go, God, did you bring revival to this campus? That's amazing. Look, God, would you give us opportunities to love? Every day, every day I get stories. I'm on their little text thread. Every day because God honors that simple little pursuit. God, we're here. We love you. We want other people to experience that love. We want to join you in the greatest story and mission we could possibly have in our life. So I'm a dad. I'm a teacher. I got all these places of mission, but the ultimate one is I get to join you in making disciples and putting this world back together. Okay, so God, what do you want to do? Just a simple act of asking. But that for them meant, all right, there's a bunch of things we need to stop doing in our mornings. So literally, and I'm not saying like, don't, don't, like, don't work out anymore. Your spouse will not be happy with me. But like many of us, like you only need 20 minutes a day to work out. Like chill out. Like stop. Uh, a few friends of mine, we vowed to just kill all TV. It's like so shocking. I know it sounds like fundamentalism all over again. I love TV. I love movies. I love storytelling. This isn't a, like, this is just about consecrating ourselves. I want the life of God way more. I want to be able to say with Paul, I consider Netflix scubalon for the sake of knowing Christ. So now my wife and I, we like just lay in bed and we sit there and we're like, oh, you know, this is like where we put on chef's table and pour a glass of wine. Get a little popcorn. My preaching, come on, it's good. No, no one. All right. And man, it's like the best. Unwind. And I'm not against rest or unwinding. But I tell you, man, a couple nights of the week we don't do that, and we just pray. Ten minutes for Harper. Ten minutes for Rowan. She prays. Ten minutes for me. I pray. Ten minutes for her. Just, just seeking God for each other. What are you learning? Where do you see God this week? culture of pursuit and then it begins to not actually feel like some chore because it's pretty awesome communing with the God of the universe every day. Okay, spiritual essentialism. We need a holy ambition in our hearts. We cannot accept mediocrity and mail it in. We need models. We need to be discipled by people. Very few people I think love God in this world. Again, you are just so, uh, the grace of God is upon you that you have pastors like these two. Like who around you, I'm sure there are so many others in this room who love God, but I find it really hard to meet someone who's older, wiser, who really loves God and to actually learn from this. Paul says, all of us who then are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make it clear to you. Only let us live up to what we've already attained. Like what does it mean to be, a, like for me, I'm asking the question, what does it mean for me to be a godly man? 
my 30s. Like, I, like who can I learn from? And, and so for some of us, we need to actually be mentored by history. Like every generation, there are people who live a certain way. I, I read Eric Liddell's story. I read that stuff because it inspires me. It gives me a vision of that's what a godly man looks like. He's got all the wealth and influence and affluence, more than probably anybody in this room. And he goes, yeah, man, it's amazing, but uh, God's calling me to do that now, so I gotta go do that now. That kind of courage and those sorts of stories, we need to actually be discipled by. Who are you being shaped by and discipled by? So we need community and we need models. A friend of mine says, you are the summation of your five closest friendships. So here's the most fundamentalism, fundamentalist thing I'll say all the whole time here. You're the, if, you, if, this, if that's it, if, that's, if there's some truth to that, I think most of us in our hearts know that, right? Our friends deeply influence this, us. But you, some of you need new friends. Or you need to reorient your time. This isn't about like pushing people away or not being loving or kind. But who are the people that inspire you to get up and seek the things that are most true and most beautiful and most good in this world. Who drags you into cynicism? Who, if you ask your spouse, hey, what do you think about so-and-so? And you know deep down they're going like, they bring out the worst in you. Maybe you need to reorient your time. If, if, if there's any truth to that, you need people who will poke around at your soul, who will challenge you, who will say, come on, let's go pray. Let's just go pray. Lastly, in Hebrews, the classic verse of why you come to church, the writer says, don't give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. We cannot habitize mediocrity. Don't get into the habit of like not meeting together. Like don't, like we we habitize like some of the like the worst things we have to break the stronghold of well this is just how we do things if you are going to be a community that seeks god if there's going to be a culture of pursuit in your life and in your heart a culture of pursuit that goes i consider everything else garbage because there's such a deep call and longing for the things of god it would be a tragedy a tragedy if you look back a year later and it's just the same stuff, different year. Couple baptisms, couple, couple things, like we're kind of cool, we had a couple cool nights. Like if we look back and we just saw the same thing. See, a culture of pursuit in the hearts of the church leads to a cry for revival. Leads to a cry for God, do it again. It leads back to Habakkuk. So why we exist as a church, as sanctuary, the way we frame it, is we exist to see the fame and deeds of God renewed in our day and time. And it's just meant, I mean, that's so big. It's not a vision you can like live into and create like one through six like points of ministry options for the year. It's just meant to keep us like very clear on why are we here to join God in the greatest story of all. It's there to stoke the flames of the individual of the 60-year-old who's been walking with Jesus for years to the six-year-old who just said yes to Jesus, to the cynic, to the ostracized, to go, man, what, what we're about is the radical pursuit of God. 
a desire to be closer and near and to understand and to know and to walk with more than ever. A God who is not opposed to our effort, is opposed to our earning, but says, come and seek me and you will find me. And so what, what does that look like for this church to continue to press in in this next season, I guess, is the charge I give to you. Is in the in your in your lives, in your home life, but as a community and as a church, that you with boldness, because you've been talking to God all day, and boldness to go, God, ah, would you do it again here in my home? Would you? I've seen, I've heard these stories, I've seen what you've done, I've read about what you've done, I heard about Jimmy down the street and what you did. Would you do it again? And to begin to have a culture of openness in your heart. We're going to sing a song in a minute, which I don't believe you guys have done before. And uh, the, the line that just repeats over and over is, do it again. Do it again. So you, you may not, again, most of you may not know this song. But whatever it means to, like, put your own language, like, don't worry about learning the song. Don't worry about singing along with it. Like, I just take this moment as the band sings. You just pray, like, your own life over these, over that refrain. Would you do it again? Would you do it again? We need your revival, Holy Spirit fire. We know the King is among us. We know that God, that you are among us. So would you do it again? Would you change my heart? Would you reorder what I value? And actually whatever specifics God may have brought up in your heart in this time, that God would just seal that stuff. Let me pray for us. Lord, um, we, uh, I know I, 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 I get so I get so frustrated or with my own uh, fickleness with how easily I, I cave to lesser loves. Well, you, uh, like C.S. Lewis says, Lord, I just think about how, like, wanting to, like, pray, pray this, like, turn this into a prayer where, where Lewis says, uh, you know, God is, we get, we get busy down in the mud when God is, like, offering us a holiday, a vacation you know, at sea. Like, we get stuck in lesser things. We order our lives in such a way that they don't look actually any different from anyone else and yet we're claiming to know and be in relationship with the God of the universe so Lord forgive even as I'm just teaching now you're bringing the things to light in my own heart of, of just the fickleness in my spirit and so Lord I pray that a culture of pursuit is stirred in the life of this church that holy longing and holy ambition, Lord, that callings and purposes are called out, even in this moment. Like many of us, like we need to just, we need to right now be that expectant. Like right now on an average ordinary Father's Day where the service is going a little long and I wish this guy would be quiet. Like even on a day like today, even on a day like today, God would put something in your heart and the Holy Spirit would fall in such a way that could change everything that begin to bring light 
where there's darkness in our lives. So I just pray right now in these few minutes left, Lord, that there would just be an, an honesty in the hearts of the people here. That as we hear the band sing, do it again, Lord, would you do it again? That that would become just our mantra, just the cry of our heart, the prayer of our heart, as we invite you to, to reorder our, our loves. That our lives, Lord, that we would sing with abandon in our hearts. The, oh, to be like you, to give all I have just to know you. Ever the hope in my heart that that would just be the ache, the ache. Lord, of our prayer right now. Open our eyes, Lord, that we would see you. Lord, open our ears, Lord, that we would hear you. Open our hearts, Lord, that we would know you more.